won't be long, we might see the Snodderleys have a bus come rolling in out here to get on the road. Thank you so much, guys. <clears throat> well, take your Bibles. Uh, this morning, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And again, I appreciate you all being here today. Uh, it's never the same when our pastor isn't here. Uh, we all miss that, but uh, hopefully God has something for us uh, today. I appreciate you being in, here in your place. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, I came up with the title about foundations because, you know, as a contractor, I've got to do something about building. So uh, we, we kind of have that. But there's some stuff here that uh, I really think gives us a good picture of the church and how the church uh, needs to function, some things we need to do as a church, and then also as individuals. So I believe there's some, some good stuff that God has for us this morning. So uh, I'd like to start out in, in chapter 3, and let's read uh, the first four verses together if we can. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now here he's talking about this idea about the church and carnal. We've heard the word carnal and here what it's trying to talk about is natural or, you know, kind of like an unsaved person is, is what the analogy that he's using. But as we start looking through this whole chapter, I'd like for us to kind of think of it in three different I try to do an, sort of an outline, I'm not very good at that, but I kind of have three overarching things. One of which, the church is a family with the goal of that being maturity. As we grow, we should grow in maturity. Then the second one is like the church is a field and the goal there is to grow in quantity. And then the third one that I have uh, is the church is a temple and we need to grow in quality. So as we kind of look through those kind of things, but here he's talking about, as you will, uh, Paul is talking about the different kinds of people that are in the world. There's two kinds of people in the world, saved and unsaved, okay? We can't argue about that part, and, and that's what Paul kind of refers to as he's going through his letter here to the church at Corinth. Uh, there's the natural or the unsaved people, and then the spiritual or saved people. But here he's talking about saved people. He's writing to the church at Corinth. We know he's referring to saved people. But here he's talking about two different kinds of saved people, mature and immature or carnal. And he references that. He, you know, he, he likens it to somebody that needs to be fed with milk. Now, Paul is acting like the spiritual father. He's acting like the spiritual father because he was the one that founded this church in Corinth. He is the kind of the head of that family, if you will, there in Corinth. And so his job is there to help them mature. Uh, it's kind of like he uses the analogy of a child. When a child is young, they don't have teeth, they're not developed, we feed them milk. 
They're immature, okay? As they mature and grow, we can grow to different types of food. That's one of the things that we can tell how mature a person is, is by their diet. You know, as they get older, you can grow and eat different foods and different things. You grow from milk to meat. Now, as we start thinking about this idea, a lot of times I've heard it over the years, people equate the difference between milk and meat is milk is the easy things in the word while meat represents the more difficult things in scripture. But I, you know, I think that is definitely one application of it. But if we go to the passage that uh, uh, Rick read, <laughs> I've already forgotten now where he talks about that. You know, he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10 through 14, the milk represents more of what Christ did while he was here on earth. That's the part up to salvation. You know, that's kind of the milk part. But then after that, the meat concerns with what he's doing now in heaven and what we need to do once we're saved. Uh, the, you know, I think the writer of Hebrews wanted to teach us about the heavenly priesthood of Christ, but again, he had the same issue. The readers were too immature to get that. But we have to understand that this is our spiritual food. Now, it's referred to sometimes as milk. Then we can refer to as honey, uh, bread, uh, meat, <coughs> excuse me. You know, all different things as we grow, we figure this out. And it's usually not too difficult to determine a believer's spiritual maturity or immaturity. You know, if we start thinking about how these are, what is going on here? In chapter, or in verse 4, he kind of has this idea about going, what's going on here. For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Here he's just bringing to light an argument that they're having. And this is the same argument that kids have been having on the playground for years and years and years. My daddy's better than your daddy. My daddy can beat up your daddy. All these sorts of things that we hear children do. You know, when children are doing these things, they think they're bragging on their father. They think they're doing the right thing. It sounds great, but really what they're showing is their level of immaturity. And that's what was going on with the church in Corinth. So many people were just saying, hey, I want to follow Paul. I'm going to do everything Paul says. I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. I need to do everything Apollos says. And they're missing the boat, you know. They need to be understanding it's not about either one of them, but it's about Christ. And we get that through their diet. You know, these guys at this point in time, you know, they were just quarreling. They were acting like little children as far as how children act sometimes. Children are more concerned about them and what they want at that time than understanding the big picture. And we just have to kind of realize that. But as we start re realizing in verse 5, Paul asks them, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So here, 
Paul is talking about himself. Paul is writing this letter, but he says, who am I? Who is Apollos? We are just simply the messengers, okay? We're just supposed to do this, and he uses the word minister. Now, that word minister, uh, I kind of did a little bit of digging up stuff. Uh, that's actually the same word that was translated as deacon, okay? Someone who's a servant, Someone who is doing something, who is lowering themselves to get something, you know, to somebody else. Very menial acts of service, as Christ himself showed. But these people, they were into hero worship. And, and that's another kind of thing that we see a lot of times with the maturity of children. A lot of times children have superheroes. Well, I want to be like Mike. Or I want to be like, you know, Spider-Man. Or I want, you know, they have all these heroes that they elevate, you know. It might be an athlete. It might be Michael Jordan or somebody that tells you I'm old. It might be LeBron James or something, you know. But they want to be like this person, again, to show this idea. But the, the, the thing that we have to get across to the church is where are we at as a church? How is the church the church, when someone comes to bring the word as our pastor, and I'm so grateful he does every Sunday and every week. I mean, he brings us the word of God. He's here so that we can be enlightened and edified and not just to be entertained. You know, the pulpit is not for entertainment. It is for enlightenment and to be edified. And that's why we're, we're so fortunate to have the pastor that we have who understands that. That's what he's here for. That's his goal. Uh, and at, by doing that, he helps us to interpret the gospel. We always need to preach the gospel to the lost, but we also have to interpret the gospel to the saved, you know, as we continue this. The, I mean, if you look at it in one way, the entire New Testament is just an interpretation of the gospel, uh, you know, and it, it shows us how to apply it. For example, if you look at Paul's letter to Romans, we all are familiar with Romans. Romans was written to saved people. It wasn't to save people. The book of Romans was written to saved people. Uh, not to how to be saved, but how to go on. How to realize the deep things of God and how they applied to our lives. And as we understand this same idea, as we grow and mature, we do these. And we have different people come and do these things in different ways. Uh, in verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We all have different roles to play. You know, not one person does it all. You know, we have different people here. We have Sunday school teachers, adventure club teachers. We have pastors. We have elders. We have deacons. We have, uh, we have people that cook meals in for adventure clubs and snacks and lots of things and it's all these things that work together for the whole uh <coughs> excuse me leading up you paul will be getting into spiritual gifts a little bit later in this actual letter but here he's trying to show us this idea paul was the missionary pioneer if you will he brought the message of salvation but then Apollo's role was to water or to nurture it, to help it grow stronger in the faith. You know, Paul founded the church 
or did the foundation work for the church, and then Apollo went on to that, and then there would be other leaders and other teachers that continued to build on those foundations. Uh, the same thing that we have to realize, though, is at the end of verse 6, but God gave the increase. It's not people, okay? That's all about God. As our pastor says a lot, and I'm so grateful he does, it's all about Christ. Everything should point us to Christ. You know, LeGrand Lamb doesn't stand in this pulpit and ask anything to be towards him. It's all to Christ. And that's the way it should be. And that's what Paul's wanting them to say. We don't need to be followers of men. It all needs to point to Christ. Just as we're used to hearing time after time after time. And we need that, you know, because the seed is what we need to do. We need to do our part, but God gives the increase. You know, it's God alone who's significant, and God gives the, the increase. In verse 7, it says, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. You know, we're just people. We're just men. We're just normal people, but God can take that and use it and do great and mighty things from there. Now, it says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We're all working together. We don't need to be the one, hey, I want to be the planter. I don't like water and I want to just plant. I, I, you know, we're all working on the same team. We can think of the analogy for any sports team. It takes all the different people out there. You know, everybody in football wants to be the quarterback. Everybody in basketball wants to be the point guard. Everybody in baseball wants to be the pitcher. But what if you didn't have the other guys? We're all on the same team. We need to do our same part. God's work, if you look at it, involves many different individuals, all with lots of different kinds of gifts and abilities. And there's no superstars. Only team members doing their role. And that's how we can come to fulfill God's plan is when we're all just doing our little part. You know, do what our part is for the glory of the whole thing, not for glory for us. Glory be to Christ, not to us. Don't seek praise from people. Uh, seek approval from God. Uh, and that's the way that it needs to be. Ministers, all of us are ministers of the gospel. We need to have that unity there. Uh, we do that by getting into his word, showing God's word to people and what it is. We're all fellow workers working together for good. Uh, that's in verse, whoops, I skipped ahead. I didn't read verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. Now think about there. We are God's fellow workers. If we are a fellow worker with God, that means God has chosen us to be on his team. You know, uh, I remember back in elementary school when we used to play kickball. And I, I know it's a little hard to visualize now, but I was a wormy little dude when I was growing up. Uh, when I started high school, I was 5'4 and didn't even weigh 100 pounds. So in, in school, we used to play kickball during recess, and we would pick teams. And the most humbling experience ever is when the girls are picked in kickball before you're picked 
in kickball. Because I was a boy, but there were girls that were bigger and stronger than me when I was in the third grade. And I remember that. But I'm just so grateful that at some point in time, eternity past, God saw fit when he's picking teams that he says, I'm picking Pat to be on my team. And that's a humbling experience when we realize that that's God. And he calls me one of his fellow workers. We're teammates. You know, I, you know, to have God on my team, that's pretty awesome. And we are fellow workers. It says you're God's field is another idea here. What's it like to have a field? Any of y'all ever seen this time of year in, or later in the summer in Knoxville, there's a field of sunflowers up there somewhere on a wildlife management area. It's just a gorgeous field. You can look at all these different fields. You can drive south down Highway 58 and just see the pastures in, in March and April. Everything's lush and green and the cows hadn't messed it all up yet. It's just wonderful to see these fields. Or to drive to Indiana where you go through fields of corn and corn and corn and then soybeans and then corn and then, so, you know. But it's fields and, and to realize all this stuff that God is doing through the increase. It's all about God. And then he talks about building, and that's one of the kind of ideas that we want to talk a little bit more about is the building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Well, what do you know about the foundation? Uh, most people in here have been around building to some degree, and most people understand that the foundation is the first thing that you do. Uh, and it is an important part of the building. But why is it important? I mean, what's the big deal? Some of you all have heard uh, over in Italy, there's a, a thing called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Some of you all might have seen that or heard of it. If not, you can Google it this afternoon. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa has a foundation issue. It still has a foundation, because it's still standing. But it has a foundation issue. If you've noticed that tower, it's a little whopper jog. Okay? And the reason why is the foundation on one side is a little lower than the foundation on the other side. Well, how much? Well, it all, that's all relative. The foundation on one side is only a half inch low. Can you believe that? in a foot. But then when you translate that to 200 feet, all of a sudden that's 100 inches. Or that's starting to, you, you can kind of see. It looks like it's no big deal until you look at the grand scheme. So the foundation is critical. Foundation is where we start things. And there's a lot involved to get that foundation right. Uh, he understands it. Now, one of the things he talks about here as a wise master builder. Uh, about everybody here knows I'm a contractor. I've been doing it a long time. Still, it amazes me when I'm talking to a new person about it. Oh, you're a contractor. How long have you been doing this? Everybody wants to know. If I've been doing it a while, they think I've got experience and that makes me smarter. I guess, that's the only reason, how long you been doing it? 
And then the other thing is, have you ever built a blank? If it's a doctor's office, have you ever built a doctor's office? Have you ever built a podiatrist's office? Have you ever built a, you know, very seldom in my career I do commercial construction, have I ever built two of the same things? Very similar, kind of like the last few years I've been building a lot of self-storage. They're all different, but they're all similar. But what I know is over time, I try to do what a wise master builder does. As Brother Mike shared in Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. That's where we need to seek wisdom. You know, we need to ask people. We need to know these things, and we get that wisdom to do this foundation. Now, some of you all remember the World Trade Center in New York City and the foundation there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did a little research about that just to understand the scope of foundations. I think I know foundations. I'm a builder. But when I'm looking here, I think I might need to get a little more about foundations. The World Trade Center Foundation, they excavated 1.2 million cubic yards of material. That's a number you have no way of, you're like me, you have no way of translating that to anything in real life. Let me put it like this. The big dump trucks you see driving down the road, that would be 80,000 tandem dump truck loads of material they dug out of the ground when they started. Or if you can't imagine 80,000 dump truck loads, imagine dump trucks parked bumper to bumper from here to Panama City Beach, Florida. Big dump trucks, everyone full of material. That's how much was excavated before they started. Well, why do you have to excavate? Why do you got get, sometimes you gotta get rid of that stuff that's there before you can get to the right foundation. A foundation is new. A foundation is something you bring in to start, and sometimes you've got to get rid of the old. Now, there might not be anything that looks wrong with that dirt, but anybody that builds knows you need to get down to solid material. You need to get down to the rock. If you think about what Christ said about Peter, Peter, you are my rock. Upon you I will build my church. That was the foundation. Anytime they ever build one of these bridges across the rivers that we all drive over every day, that's the first thing they do. They get rid of all the stuff on the bottom till they get down to rock to build that foundation. You've got to get rid of stuff. We're the same way. A lot of times people want to just start with the foundation, but they don't want to get rid of anything. They don't want to get rid of the bad. And I think that's what one of the key things that God was showing me through this is to start our foundation, we need to get rid of the stuff that's in our life that gets in the way of putting in there what God wants us to have. God wants us to start this new foundation right here. Last year, I went to build my niece a house out in Clinton. They bought this property. It was beautiful. Grass growing on it. We went in there to start scraping off the topsoil. Because you don't build on topsoil, right? Everybody knows that. you got to get down to red dirt. But we kept digging and digging and digging because the topsoil was about three feet deep. So all of a sudden, when we dig out the little place for the house, it's in a hole. But you got to do that. It looked fine. There's a lot of stuff in, in everybody's life that looks fine. It looks like it's wonderful. But you need to get rid of it to start this new foundation. And then when we start the new foundation, it might be a way that we've never heard of before. 
something that we had never encountered, something that we don't know about. As I shared with you, I've been doing what I do for a living for 31 years now. But I, when I was looking into this World Trade Center, they poured their concrete foundation out of 16,000 PSI concrete. Y'all ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. I buy concrete all the time. Around here, I either buy 3,000 or 4,000. On occasion, I have seen 5,000. I've never seen 16,000 PSI concrete. Of course, I've never built a building that's a quarter of a mile tall either. That would be totally outside what I'm used to and understanding, but the people that knew had that idea. Just as God, when he is laying the foundation for me, sometimes it's going to be some new ideas that I haven't heard of. Because God can show us stuff that we've never seen. Every time it seems like I open the word, I see stuff I haven't seen before. Because as I'm maturing, I get more meat than milk. But this foundation idea is so key about how it gets us something to build upon. And you need something wonderful to build upon first. Your foundation must be right to start building on it. It says in verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If we ever see anything about a church or a movement or whatever, and it doesn't start out with Christ, it's something to be wary of. Because that is the foundation. That's where it must start. It all starts with Christ. Then on top of that foundation, it says if anyone builds on this foundation, <coughs> excuse me, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. Now he doesn't say if you build with different ones. He says when you build with. Now he doesn't put he doesn't distinguish between gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Just a list. But what we realize, it's going to show up later. If you build a house with straw, is it going to stand? Everybody would say no. If you built a house with wood, it would burn up in the fire. You know, if you built it with hay, I mean, you can't even build a house. I remember as kids, I used to build forts. I love to go outside and you build forts. You build them with sticks and whatever you could find, and then the wind blows and our forts built is gone. But we realize that we need to do this with these items because the proof will come out later as we see it. Look at what it says in verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. When the fire comes, it's going to tell us what's there. Is there going to be a fire coming? You better believe it. When we're saved, we're going to be saved, but then we're still going to have trials. We're going to have fires, if you will, come into our life. And then it's going to show what we're built out of. You know, are we going to be built out of these things? Now, he talks about the two different types of building materials. If you really look, there's two groups. You have the one group that is silver, gold, and gems, if you will, right? The other group, wood, hay, and straw. Where do you find these two things? Well, wood, hay, and straw is just laying around everywhere. 
Very common, very easy to get. There's a lot of it. If you start thinking of silver and gold and gems, you've got to work to get those. You're going to have to put in some effort. Those aren't just laying around for everybody to go get. You're going to have to get in the word. You're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to do these things. And you need to do that because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. When the fires come, when the trials come, that's when we know. You know, that's when you see what it happens. Yes, you can build a house on the beach to withstand a hurricane. But you won't ever know till the hurricane comes, right? When the hurricane comes, did you do that? Or did you think, well, I really don't need this or I really don't need that because it's not that important, you know? I don't need this kind of concrete. I think I'd just do this, or if I do this. But most of those things are, are the if-I's. We just need to go back to the foundation. When we got the print, we got the thing from God. Verse 14, if anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. <coughs> Excuse me. What he's talking about here is you're not going to lose your salvation. But all the stuff that you've done, you might lose that. Just as someone is running from a house that's on fire, you may escape with your life, but you don't have any of the stuff because it was useless. It burned up. That's what he's kind of talking about there. If we're doing those things that we need to do as Christians, as we grow in Christ, then we see these things. You know, we need to build up with the right materials. Uh, you know, that is getting into the Word of God. You know, uh, as uh, Mike read in Proverbs, if you receive my words and hide my commandments and incline thine ear to wisdom, then we get this knowledge. That's when we get these things that we can build on that last. You know, they're not temporal. But then in verse 16, he continues on about the kind of the same, the, the third little point there about do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? When we start understanding the idea about a temple and how it happens, how it comes to be, uh, what was the temple? The temple was where God dwelt, correct? Wasn't that the purpose of the temple? So what he says is, do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If you defile the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. You know, we're the same way here as a local church. We are God's temple here as a church body. God needs to dwell with us as this body. And just as the church... Uh, shouldn't be spoiled by divisions or controversies or other things when we're here to worship God. This is where God dwells, you know, in this body of people. Uh, and he wants us to understand this. Every congregation is like this, and each individual that makes up this congregation. Uh, then that, but the warning in verse 17 says, If anyone desecrates the temple of God, God will destroy him. 
I mean, if you think about what's going on with this church in Corinth, they had all these factions. Well, I'm Apollo's faction. You know, I'm following Paul. All these things that were striving together, and then all of a sudden you destroy the temple. You know, too much quarreling, fighting, all those things, that was going to be the issue, is to destroy the temple. But the temple is about God. It's all about God. And if we start on this right foundation, we get in the word, we realize that, and we cannot have these problems as we build and grow the church. Because that is God's plan, is to grow the church. Uh, it is, uh, you know, a lot of times you will hear church people talk about, and I think there's probably seminars and classes on how to grow a church. Uh, I, I'm going to give you Pat's idea. Uh, I think a church grows the same way that children grow. How do you grow children? Well, you feed them and you keep them healthy. Growth is the natural process through God. And I think the church is the same way. But God wants his church to grow. He wants it to grow uh, physically. He wants it to grow numerically. We talk about the increase. And as seeds come, there's more and there are more. But he also wants us to grow individually and spiritually. You know, that's how we need to do it. We need to get it right and do it the way that God's plan shows. But we don't need to think about it our way. Look in verse 18. It says, let no one deceive himself. And if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile or futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas or the world of life or death or things present, things to come, and all are yours. Don't be deceived by people that know all the answers. You know, there's always going to be somebody that knows all the answers, the latest and greatest, the newest. You know, uh, we can talk about the, the LDS church. We have a new and improved version of scripture. Okay? No, we don't. Too many times people think that they are smarter than God. Uh, I am always humbled by just what little bit I know, and I can't fathom anything about God. Uh, but it's like I have shared with some people. If I could understand God, he ain't much God. I know that's not good grammar. But if God's ways are to where I could understand everything about God, I think I'm doing such a disservice to how he really is. Because that's my wisdom. And I'm not that wise. But to realize, don't deceive yourself. Don't think that you are smarter than you actually are. And I'm talking to me. You know, uh, because otherwise I need to realize I just don't know. And it is never wrong to say I don't know. Uh, again, back to my construction knowledge. That happened to me when I first started in the construction business. My boss said, Pat, would you go out to Oak Ridge, look at that job, make sure that the block masons are joining the brick or the block. I had no idea what joining the block meant. 
But I got in my truck and I went out there. I'm like, I'm a reasonably intelligent person. I will be able to figure this out when I get there. I get there, there's block guys on scaffolding. They're laying all the block. And the supervisor for the block company says, hey, what are you doing here? I said, well, Mr. Page wanted me to come see if y'all were joining the block. And I was hopeful he would show me. And he says, well, what do you think? And I'm like, hmm, two ways to go here. I can act like I know what I'm doing or not. I said, I really don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. At which point in time he went, oh my gosh, he just went off yelling, here you are over this job. You don't even know what joined in the block. Da, da, da. You know, he just, all this sort of stuff. But I mean, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, I was hoping you would teach me and then I will know in the future. You can't bluff your way through God. You can't act like you know when you do know. Seek God, seek his face, help him to show you these things. You know, and sometimes you're going to have to say, man, I don't know. But God will enlighten you. You know, he's going to show you these things. Uh, too many times, though, we want to be like the guy in verse 19. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So many times we think, ah, I'm smarter than that. It's never going to happen to me. Everybody else, not me. I know you can drive 76 miles an hour and they're never going to give you a ticket. It's never going to happen to me or whatever analogy we use. We think that we're smarter and it's not going to happen. But the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. Yeah, we can think that we're smart, but God knows us. God knows our heart. God knows everything about you. He created that mind that you have. But, verse 21, therefore let no one boast in men. Here he's finishing up this chapter talking about everybody that was all in for Apollos or all in for Paul. Going back to, hey, we're going to do whatever this guy says. He says men there. It's not about men. It is about Christ. That's what it's about. Verse 21, therefore let no one boast in men. You know, I... We can get so caught up the same thing. Nowadays, we can get, you know, we can say, well, John MacArthur is a great man, and I'm going to follow John MacArthur. We need to follow John MacArthur as long as John MacArthur is following Christ and puts Christ first. Never men. You know, it's all about Christ and what he did and what he is doing. You know, verse 22, he goes on. Whether world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. He's talking about everything that we know, everything that we have, everything that we know about. God gave it to us. They're ours. But look what he says in verse 23. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You know, that's a neat way how he finishes everything up there, you know. The reason that we are Christians is not to boast or glory in men because all things are ours. All Christian leaders, all of us, no matter what we're doing, we're all in service to the church of Christ. We all are. Uh, including any teaching, ministry, whatever service that we do. Their ministry, our ministry, your ministry is always to present Christ 
and to bring people to Christ or to a deeper relationship with Christ. The focus of any ministry needs to be Christ and his church rather than on themselves. You know, it's always pointed to Christ. Here, Paul, when he states all things are yours, he expands it to the broadest idea, the world of life and death. You know, and things present, things to come, you know, all things have been put into subjection to Christ, you can see in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And the church collectively, including every believer individually, has been joined to Christ to share in his inheritance. That's what we see over in Romans chapter 8. Uh, it's kind of like we could uh, put the analogy of a marriage. When a husband and wife come together, they share in everything. What's his is hers. What's hers is hers. Or, or what's hers is his. <laughs> Y'all know what it is. But, you know, you have this same thought process. You know, all things belong to everybody. We do not belong to ourselves. Then we're part of this marriage. You know, and that's the way it is. With the bride of Christ as we are, it's like that same covenant that we have. We belong to our faithful Savior who loved us and gave himself for us, and together it's with him where we belong to God as his most secure possession that he has. And that's why he says he will never lose us. Well, let's pray this morning. Dear Father, once again, Lord, we do just thank you and praise you for who you are, what you've done for us. Most of all, Father, for Jesus and what he did for us, Lord. We do just thank you, God, for your word, what it means to us, how we can take it, Lord, and apply it to our lives to make it the foundation, Lord, that everything else starts upon. And we just pray now that as we leave this place, God, that you would just lead, guide, and direct. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.